Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls from all over, welcome to another episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your excited host, Larry Frank, joining you live from Bentonville, Arkansas, with an incredible lineup and a great show for this morning. Later on today, we're going to have play-by-play announcer. For Duke University Baseball and Women's Basketball, Chris Edwards joining us. We're going to be talking a little bit about minor league baseball and how the college season being canceled affected the major league baseball draft. Then after him, we're going to have another play-by-play announcer of the Wareham Gateman of the Cape Cod League. It's going to be Javid Blake who is also going to tell us the effect that the Cape Cod League has on Major League Baseball draft. So just a great, great, great show planned for you today. Today's show is basically going to be around Minor League Baseball. We're going to talk a little bit about baseball as we get started here in a couple minutes. But the gist of it, we'll be talking about Minor League Baseball, some of the things going on in Minor League Baseball, the amount of teams Minor League Baseball currently have, which is amazing, and also even talk about the pay that minor league ball players get paid. So a big, big, big program today. But before we get into that, later on today, the players union is going to agree or disagree on a plan that the Major League Baseball has passed over to them to get the start of the season going. Now, right now, obviously the biggest thing on the list for the Players Association is everybody's safety. I mean, right now they're planning on an 82-game season, roughly. You know, that's always going to be negotiable, but basically a half a season where it's going to be a couple of different divisions based on geographical areas. Um, The big thing I think today is going to be the financial battle. I believe the proposal that Major League Baseball has sent to the Players Association is with a revenue sharing plan. And those of you that are familiar with these negotiations that have gone on before, the Players Union is not in favor of revenue sharing. Now, we have to understand, we're going through an extreme circumstance here. I still don't think they're going to like that idea. But both teams have a lot to lose, especially from a financial standpoint, if they don't get the season played. So I think you're going to see them working together, and hopefully this doesn't become a big battle. It would be a real big shame if it does. Um, I know Major League Baseball is talking about expanding the rousters to 30 players and possibly even more than that since there's not going to be no minor league baseball this year. And like we already mentioned, the plan does include health protocols that keeps everyone safe. So later on today, we'll find out more about that. We can only speculate, but I know Major League Baseball 
definitely wants to get its season going here. So hopefully later on this afternoon, we'll have some news for you in regards to the Major League Baseball season beginning. Now, as far as minor league baseball goes, we've had a lot of listeners actually suggest that we talk about, you know, I think the big thing they were talking about was the draft. The draft coming from 40 rounds down to five rounds. We're going to hit on that in a minute, but, you know, a lot of people are complaining about that. Also, possibly the elimination of 40 minor league teams. I'm going to tell you right now, guys, there are too many damn minor league baseball teams out there. The average major league baseball team is affiliated with minimum of five minor league baseball teams. Now, that doesn't mean they don't have more. Some may have a couple less. I don't know, but right now there's 261 minor league teams. Way too much. Way too much. Listen to some of these statistics from minor league baseball. Only 10% of AAA players make it to the to the major leagues. That means only one out of 10 players make it to the majors. That's at AAA, okay? Only one of six first rounders. So in other words, you have 30 picks in the first round, okay? Only one of six or five of 30 actually make it to the major leagues. That means 25 of your picks in the first round don't make it to the major leagues. Um, less than one in five players drafted at all. One of five players even make it to the majors. So only 20% of people drafted. You right now have 40 rounds. Only 20% of those people make it to the major leagues. And it raises a question. Why do we have so many teams? Why do we need 40 rounds? You know what it tells me? You, it's crazy. If you need 40 rounds at 30 picks around to find you major league players, the players are not the issue. The scouts are the issues. The system is the issue. What you're telling me is we don't have enough qualified scouts out there to look and analyze talent. You know, in any business, what business are you going to go in and 20% of the time you're successful and you're going to be able to keep your job? It, it does not make sense. You need 261 baseball teams in the minor leagues to be able to judge talent. We right now got rookie leagues. We got... Uh, single A, double A, triple A. I mean, we got all sorts of minor league. And you know what's worse about it? They don't get paid good money to do it. You know, they minor league baseball players do not even get paid minimum wage. They're exempt from that. Uh, the U.S. government and the standards they provide for minimum wage. So minor league baseball and minor league baseball has always been like that. You know, I tell people a quick story. Back in 88, after I was done, I done my three months with the New York Yankees. I'm out of college. 
and I get offered a job. I get a phone call. Hey, Larry, uh, so-and-so um, from the Greensboro Hornets, which was an affiliate at one time for the Cincinnati Reds. They might have been of the New York Yankees as well. I don't remember exactly. But nevertheless, the uh, moral to the story is that I was offered a job. They go, we got a job for you. We want you to become director of stadium operations for the Greensboro Hornet minor league baseball team. Okay, I'm a roughly 21, 22 years old. I'm going to be director of stadium. It sounded terrific. I was excited. I'm going to be, you know, my whole dream was to be a major league manager. I wanted to be just like Billy Martin, who I spent the last three months with. But this was okay. It was a stepping stone, and I was going to take it. And I remember asking the guy, no problem. You know, I'm a single guy. I didn't have a family. I don't even think I had a girlfriend back then. And I said, how much are you willing to pay me? And remember, this is 1988 now. And he said, well, Larry, we'll pay you $500. And I'm like, a week? You know, that's not too bad for minor league baseball. And the guy, I swear to you, he laughed in my ear on the phone. We didn't have cell phones then. Okay? He laughed in my ear and said, no, that's a month. I said, you're paying me $500 a month? I said, how am I supposed to live? I said, are you going to give me like a company car? Are you going to give me a place to live? No. And his exact words back was, if you want to make it in minor league baseball, you'll live at the stadium. And stupid me, instead of thinking everything through, said, screw this, it ain't worth it. And I ended up going into another business being the restaurant business at that time. But listen to this. You got minor league ball players starting at rookie league making $400 a week. And at AAA, they're maxing out at $700 a week. Why don't we use our common sense here, eliminate the rookie league and maybe even the single A and go ahead, take those salaries out of the way and pay these guys who are in double A and triple A more money that they deserve as they try to make it up to the major league level. It's just crazy how we don't do that. Okay, if only one of five players on those teams are going to make it, you're, you're saving a crap load of money and you're able to put that money back into your investment and pay your double A and triple A players. I'm going to tell you, for those of you who've never been through the minor leagues before, it's not a glorious life. Everybody thinks, oh my gosh, you got drafted by this team, you got drafted by that team, you're living a glorious life. It doesn't start till you get to the majors, and even then it's a transition that's just a very, very difficult transition. Um, but the money, you are living in poverty in minor league baseball. So, that you know, it doesn't make sense to me to have... If so, so what I'm saying is the rounds going from 40 rounds down to five rounds, I think is a good thing for Major League Baseball. I think it's a great thing for Minor League Baseball. If you are not putting that money back in your pocket and you are utilizing it to 
help stadiums uh, look better in the minor leagues, help salaries look a heck of a lot better in the minor leagues, and help these players out. There is no other reason. You know what? If you want 35 more or, or whatever amount the number of teams that you want to be able to analyze for, have them go to these independent leagues that have nothing to do with Major League Baseball. Let them start their own leagues. Believe me, scouts will follow them. Okay? Right now, with the type of technology that we have in this world today, there is no reason why we should only have a success ratio of one of every 10 players in AAA making the major leagues. Or one of five that is ever drafted making the major leagues. You know what? If they're not good enough, don't waste your money. And there are exceptions. Everybody can come on my show and say, well, how about Mike Piazza? Uh, how about, I think Mark Pryor was a sixth-round pick. You know, I never understood that. I believe Mark Pryor, um, don't quote me on this, I thought he won the Golden Spikes Award one year, and he wasn't picked to the sixth round. I never understood that. How can somebody win the Golden Spikes Award, be considered the best player that year in amateur baseball, and these scouts and teams do not pick them to the 32nd pick, which is, I believe, the second pick in the second round, or to the sixth round. If you're the best damn player, and you're being voted by everyone the best player in amateur baseball, then damn it, you should be up there. You should, common sense will tell you, your draft stock should go up, not down. So I never, never understood this. We're going to go to a quick break here. We have two great, great guests. Um, going to be coming up. One is going to be Chris Edwards, the play-by-play -play announcer for Duke University baseball and women's basketball, then followed by Javik Blake, the play-by-play -play announcer of the Wareham Gateman of the Cape Cod League. So let's go to break, and let's listen to our good buddy, Dickie V. Hey, my motivational tip of the day, it's all about this. You know, you have major goals. You have a goal that you want to achieve and accomplish. You want to make it happen. The way to get there is not really thinking all of a sudden about the major goal. Have mini goals. Have little goals. Attack those on a regular basis. And ultimately, it will lead to success in getting the major goal achieved. So many people want to get there immediately. They want to run that sprint. Many times it's a marathon, my friends, and you got to work at it and work at it and work at it. So get those little mini goals. Make them happen little by little, and then ultimately you'll stand there tall, and the big one will be a success. That was the great Dickie V giving you his motivational tip of the day. want to remind you all, if you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, topics you want to talk about, you can go right here at the end of this link and you can leave a message and we will play your message on the next episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. You can also go to our Twitter account at Larry Frank is with the U.S. at the end, baby. And then you can also go to our upcoming and one of the fastest growing Facebook groups in the nation, Frankly Speaking Sports. Join us. 
get updated on the latest upcoming news in the world of sports. Ladies and gentlemen, it is now my great pleasure to introduce to you on the Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline uh, the play-by-play announcer for Duke University baseball and women's basketball, Chris Edwards. Chris, how are you doing today? I'm doing great, my friend. Thanks for having me on. Oh, thanks for coming on. Chris, let's bring you back a couple of months ago. I would say roughly two months ago. Uh, Duke baseball is just having an incredible season. They're 12-4. and four. I think they had just lost to Davidson, but they came off a... A series win against Florida State, I believe, at home. And then all of a sudden, the next thing you hear is that the season's been canceled due to the coronavirus. Uh, what was your initial reaction to that? Yeah, I, I think initially it was just kind of shocked. Uh, I don't think anybody really expected it. You're right, we, we came off that loss to Davidson on that Tuesday night. I think it was March 12th, March 13th, something like that. Um, and you could just kind of see it building a little bit. Uh, lost to Davidson, game is over, got an email saying Duke was going to extend spring break by a week. Uh, so you said, okay, well, no big deal. I don't think it's going to affect our upcoming series against North Carolina, which is going to be in a couple of days. And then the next day is when things started to kind of unravel a little bit. You saw Rudy Gobert uh, get tested positive and you know, come down with the coronavirus, and that was sort of, what started the whole thing of everything getting shut down, um, and by Thursday morning, everything was off, and I think we were all wondering, okay, where do we go from here? Uh, and after the initial shock, and maybe the first week or two, you started to settle into a, a new routine, and whatever this new uh, routine is, and I think we're all just kind of hoping now that we can get back on the field and get ready to go when the fall cranks up, and hopefully by the time that basketball and baseball, for me, get, get here in the winter and the spring, things are back to some semblance of normal. Right. Now, explain to our listeners who may not know all the ins and outs about not just baseball, but college sports in general, but we're talking a little baseball here. But tell them how the cancellation of a senior, you know, for a senior class uh, that is playing baseball, you know, how does that affect those seniors, especially the ones who are looking to possibly showcase themselves senior year to get into the Major League Baseball draft? Yeah, and I think it's a little bit different this year, too, because the Major League Baseball draft is only going to be five rounds. They announced that earlier this week, um, which is another issue in and of itself, I think. Um, but from a, from a senior standpoint, it's tough because this is, in theory, your last chance to showcase to the scouts, hey, I can do this. I can be a professional baseball player. And now with the season wiped away, these scouts are having to go on what they've seen from these guys for the first two or, or three years on campus. And some guys, I think of a couple of our guys that were having red-hot starts to the season that, that had a chance maybe to improve, improve their draft stock, uh, to go a little bit higher in the draft, and now maybe they're not going to get drafted at all. I think the good news is that the NCAA has granted – everyone an extra year of eligibility because of this in terms of spring sports athletes. So the seniors could come back. It's up to each individual school if they're going to pay the uh, senior athletes to come back. Because as you know, college baseball only allows 11.7 scholarships per roster. So it depends. So coaches now have to finagle the financial aspect of it because you have all these kids now coming in that you sign that are probably not going to get drafted now because, as we said, the draft is only five rounds versus the seniors that are now going to come back. 
So let's say the seniors do come back. That's great. They have an extra year of eligibility. Well, from the in the eyes of the professional scouts, these kids are now one year older, and because the seniors are now a year older, that's going to hurt their draft stock for 2021 because maybe their skills have diminished in the eyes of the scouts a little bit. And so now the seniors have to pick, okay, do I come back to school or do I try to sign a professional contract for $20,000 and then begin my uh, professional career? So it's kind of a rock and a hard place for these seniors. Now you were talking about, and I'm glad you did, you hit on a little bit about the draft going from 40 rounds down to five rounds. So basically you're losing 35 rounds of the draft in Major League Baseball. Um, Not only... Tell me what your perspective on that is, but what do you need 40 rounds to judge talent? Probably not, no. Um, but think, think about it like this. Think about the guys that were drafted after the fifth round that have gone on to be Hall of Famers, that have gone on to be Cy Young Award winners. Think about the guys that were drafted after the 10th round. Even last year, I think there were 60-something guys that after the 10th round last year made over six figures in terms of a signing bonus. So, no, you don't need 40 rounds to judge talent, but but you need more rounds to fill all the minor league clubs, which is this is something I think the commissioner has wanted to do for a while is to minimize the number of minor league teams. I think there was a, a conversation of cutting 40 or 41 minor league franchises, and now the commissioner has an easy way to do it because the draft is only going to be five rounds. They can cut the number of franchises in minor league baseball, and now minor league baseball has been decimated for other reasons besides this, but this is kind of getting at what the commissioner wants to do, I think. But from a college standpoint, look at the draft only being five rounds now. Think about the guys that are going to come back, and there are going to be a lot of them. Even the juniors that were draft eligible. I know for Duke we have some sophomores and juniors, obviously, who are draft eligible. Those guys, the majority of them, will come back and be on campus next year. Duke's already signed another great recruiting class to come in for next season, so you've got this crop of freshmen. Some of those freshmen would have ended up getting drafted and gone on to start their professional career. Now these guys are also going to come on campus so now you're going to have this influx of talent, which is a good problem to have, and you've got to, as a coach, somehow figure out how to get the roster down to 35 guys and for an ACC series get it down to 27 guys. Now here's where I think the biggest issue comes in is the seniors that come back do not count against your 35-man roster. Correct. From an ACC standpoint, let's say that one team has 10 seniors back. So that's 37 guys that they're allowed to play on a weekend series. And let's say that this other team only has two seniors back. So that's 29 guys on their roster. So now you're working with a roster that's got 37 guys versus 29 guys. And I think that's where the competitive balance issue is going to start to come into play because you've got so much more talent on one side to work with versus less talent, so to speak, on the other side. I think that's the biggest underlying issue about the whole thing that no one's really talking about. Absolutely. Well, let me ask you this then. You know, looking at some statistics in the, you know, in the draft, um, they say one out of every 10 person that is drafted is a- actually makes it to the major leagues. So for every 100, you can go 10 players. Why do you think, why do you think that number is so low? I've never really really thought a whole lot about it. I think it's just 
so there's so much talent, and you've got to have that that it factor. And look, it's hard. It's hard to make it to the big leagues. It's hard to play baseball. You could argue that base playing baseball is one of the hardest things to do to hit a round ball with a round bat. So it, it takes some talent. It takes some luck, and I think you've got to be healthy. You've got to be given some some good opportunities. Uh, but you've also got to be able to do it. I think that a lot of guys, when they get to, to double A to triple A, maybe the talent, maybe the pitching, maybe whatever it is, maybe it just becomes too tough for them. And some guys get burnt out. But just because they don't make it to the big leagues as a player, how many of those guys go on to make it to the big leagues as a coach or working in the front office as a general manager? I think there are other ways for guys to get to the big leagues and be involved in the game than just playing. Sure, everyone wants to be a Hall of Famer. Everyone wants to get to the big leagues and have a great career. But it's just not going to work out for everybody. Right, and I agree 100% with that. Now, there's currently two, and I don't know if you knew this, uh, before they go into this decrease in the number of minor league teams, and I think you're right, they are talking about by 40 teams, that there's currently 261 minor league baseball teams out there. That's 261. And if you look at the life of a minor league player, it's it's poverty. I mean, these guys don't, make a lot of money. I think in AAA, the highest uh, weekly salary is $700 a week. So, because they're exempt from having to pay these guys minimum wage for some reason. But wouldn't it make more sense to maybe cut the rookie leagues out and maybe even the single-A leagues out and maybe pay these double-A and triple-A guys a little bit more money so they can at least live respectively? Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're absolutely right. And that is the downside of the minor league system. And I think there has been some talk uh, in Congress about making it more uniform in terms of, of making minimum wage. And that's part of the commissioner's plan is to make sure the facilities meet certain standards, to make sure the players are treated to a certain standard. That's the good part about this. And I'm not, not denying that baseball players get treated like crap and, and they need better facilities, better pay, better living accommodations on the road better travel. I understand all that. But I also look at it from the community standpoint. How many communities in these small towns in America, in these single-A, in these rookie leagues, how many of those teams identify, how many of those communities identify themselves based on that baseball team? I can tell you that I know from experience there are so many communities where people will spend their last dollars on a ticket to a ball game just to come out and escape life for a little while. And that's what it is. It's an escape. It's a chance to, to relive your childhood, to forget about your worries. It's baseball. It's Americana. It's our national pastime. So for, from that standpoint, I, I think it's tough because that's what these communities are built on. They, they thrive on, on summer and baseball. And how many, how many of these franchises, frankly, are creating jobs in the community that would not otherwise be there for these people that might really need this income? Uh, so it, it's, it's a rock and a hard place. It really is. I feel for the players but I feel for the communities too. And I just, I have a hard time, I have a hard time thinking that these communities that have had baseball for all these years are now going to have their franchise ripped away from them. And maybe they're going to have an independent league team. We don't know how it's going to work out. I just think the way Major League Baseball is going about just cherry-picking franchises, there's got to be a better way to do it. That's just my, that's my two cents, whether that's right, wrong, or indifferent. No, it's very... Hey, I'm, I'm with you. Now, we're talking to Chris Edwards, play-by-play broadcaster for Duke University Baseball 
and women's basketball. Chris, we're a couple of months away, like you said, uh, before fall sports begin back up. How much pressure, because you and I both know, we've both been involved with college sports, that 85% of a Division One's revenue that they make with the athletic department comes from the football program. I don't think that's no, any secret. So now with baseball, of course, the spring sports all being eliminated, how much pressure is there now for these athletic directors from the presidents of these universities to, because some of these athletic departments, from what I understand, are, you know, potentially could lose their athletic departments because of this pandemic. So my question to you is, before I let you go, how much pressure is on these athletic directors to get these football players on the field for the fall? I think there is some pressure, and I think it varies from school to school based on what the university presidents are thinking. Uh, I saw something the other day where the president of the University of Virginia was a little more cautious. Um, I also read something where Notre Dame's athletic director said that he felt like the football players and the other fall athletes could be back on campus before the regular students. So I, I think it varies from school to school, but I think there is some pressure for football season, as you mentioned. I mean, the football is is what drives the ship. You, you know, we all need football to be back. I try to be last half full and, and look at this. I think that we will have some sort of college football. I don't know that it's going to start on time. I don't know that you're, you're going to play a full season. You may just have a conference schedule and maybe one non-conference game. I don't know. I'm just kind of speculating and guessing. But I, I am under the impression that there, there is pressure and that there's too much money at stake, not only from, from – the athletic department as a whole, but think of the TV contracts that all these conferences have with these networks that they're going to, that they would forfeit. There's just too much money at stake, whether or not you have fans or not, because having fans in the stands doesn't equate to a whole lot of your income in terms of a college football program. It's more of the TV revenue, the merchandise, that sort of thing. So yeah, I think there is pressure. Um, I hope we play football for, for my sake and for all the people that work in sports. I hope we're playing football. Uh, because if there is no football in the fall, uh, things are going to be a little bleak and a little dire. But I also look at this big picture, too. Um, if we don't have college football or college sports or sports in general in the fall, I think we have bigger issues in the country than just not playing sports. Yeah, and, you know, that's my perspective, too. And it's just amazing me that if you looked at this about a month ago, Everybody, athletic departments, presidents, and everybody knows safety is the utmost important thing that we're talking about here. But it just seems to me like listening to these athletic directors and presidents from one month ago to now, it seems like their attitude is shifting more towards the financial than the safety part. Yeah, maybe a little bit. Again, I think it varies school to school. I, I don't think that they're going to put students in harm's way, student athletes in harm's way, um, because, it, it, look, it's not like the NFL where these NFL players or these NBA players or Major League Baseball players, they're paid athletes. The, what, what, no matter what you think in terms of college athletes and should they be paid, it, we don't need to go down that road. Um, but these still are student athletes. They are still students first. They're not paid professionals, and you've got to look out for their safety and well-being first. Uh, and 
I've read some stuff recently where they think football could you know, could be one of the last sports to be able to come back because of how physical and how much contact there is in a football game. I, I don't know. I'm going to leave that to the medical experts, but I'm still hopeful, Larry. I really am that we have football back in the fall. Uh, whether we start Labor Day weekend, whether we start in October, at this point, something is better than nothing, and I think we we all need it back. Whether whether it's from a financial standpoint or like we talked about with these minor league teams being an escape for the community, we need something that's going to give us an escape from, from whatever we're all doing now. Everyone's sitting at home. Everyone's trying to find something. We're, we're watching Korean baseball games with a nice break. But we we need something. We need something to take our mind off of how bad things are. And I'm hopeful that we have sports sooner rather than later just to give us a little bit of a reprieve so that we can take a step back and say, you know what, there is some hope, there's a light at the end of the tunnel, and things are going to get better. Well, Chris, thank you so much. I want to thank you for joining us today on Frankly Speaking Sports. Uh, It's been a real pleasure, and stay safe, my friend. You too, Larry. We'd love to talk again. Thanks for having me on. Thank you for coming on. That was Chris Edwards, the play-by-play announcer for Duke University baseball and women's basketball. We'll be back right after this message. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking. I'm your host, Larry Frank. And what a great interview with Chris Chris Edwards, the play-by-play announcer for Duke University uh, baseball and women's basketball, and gave us some really good insights on the draft, what he thought about the draft from a college perspective, um, and I thought it was really good. And he talked about the escape for the community, which I thought was a very, very different avenue to take, and it was a correct avenue, uh, no doubt about that. So we got to see the college perspective. In a few minutes, we're going to have another great guest on with us named Javik Blake. Um, he works with the Cape Cod League with the Wareham Gateman. Um, he is the play-by-play announcer. And now we're going to go ahead and get some perspective on minor league baseball and the draft from an independent summer league, which if you're not familiar with the Cape Cod League, the Cape Cod League is a collegiate summer baseball league. It's located in Cape Cod, Massachusetts. Beautiful, beautiful on the Cape out there. It's one of the uh, nation's most premier college summer leagues. And they sent like over a thousand players to the major leagues just from that league alone. Some of them, Craig Biggio, Carlton Fisk, Frank Thomas, Evan Lagoria, Will Clark, I believe Albert Bell, and there's more than that. But just to give you an idea of how many players have come from this great baseball league. So we'll talk to Javik in a few minutes and get his perspective on what's coming up with the Major League Baseball draft. Ladies and gentlemen, now joining us on the Frankly Speaking Sports Hotline is the play-by-play broadcaster for the Wareham Gateman of the Cape Cod Baseball League, Javik Blake. Javik, how you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks so much for having me on, Frank. Oh, thanks for coming on. Uh, Javik, um, 
Why don't, before we get started, for those individuals, I'm familiar with the Cape Cod League because I lived up there and I played baseball on the Cape for a couple of years. You know, when I was in high school, we used to visit down there all the time and play spring ball. Why don't you explain to our listeners what the Cape Cod League is and why do players come there to play in the summer? Yeah, no worries. Um, so the Cape Cod Baseball League is really the premier college summer league, college summer baseball league um, in the country. So what you have is you have, you know, your guys playing the regular season, at, you know, LSU, Ole Miss, Bandy, all those sorts of things. And after their season ends, they still have all summer left, you know, work on different things. They go to the Cape League, and it's sort of a way for them to sort of refine their skills sort of, you know, get to that next level and put into practice more of a laid-back environment. It's not, you know, the hardcore stuff you're going to see at Ole Miss and stuff. It's sort of a more laid-back kind of environment, uh, but it's really a place where you gather the best college guys in the country all together. There are tons of scouts at every single game. It's basically, you know, like 10, 10 college all-star teams uh, playing together throughout the summer. So there are 10 teams scattered throughout the Cape um, five of them in the West Division, five of them in the East Division. They play 40 games this year. They lowered the schedule down from 44 to 40. But they play 40 games across um, starting this year. What has started June 13th had you know, COVID-19 not had happened and the season hadn't gotten canceled. But it, start, uh, it starts around you know June 13th around then and goes all the way until, until mid-August. And um, these guys just kind of show off for the, the scouts. And it's some of the best amateur baseball in the country, all wood bats as well. So... It's something the scouts really look at to evaluate players to the next level. And it's a place where, you know, stars can be born. We saw it last year with Nick Gonzalez came in from New Mexico State as, you know, sort of a guy that people were a little little curious about. He had done well in the regular season, but he was playing in New Mexico State, a ballpark known for its high altitude. But then he comes to the Cape League, and all of a sudden he goes up. It's over 300, wins league MVP, and everyone's talking about him as maybe a top 10 pick this, uh, this spring. Yeah, and you know, there's been a lot of players I remember that played in the Cape Cod League. I mean, there's such players as Craig Biggio, Carlton Fisk, uh, Frank Thomas, Will Clark, uh, Evan Longoria, just to name a few. Let me ask you this, uh, Javik. Um, the you mentioned the cancellation. What kind of effect has it had on that area, the Cape Cod League being canceled and you know, how is it going to affect some of these players, like you said, who come there to be showcased to the scouts, not just for this year, but even for the next year's draft? Well, well I think that's such an interesting thing. Obviously, you know, it's, it's, it's sad for, you know, the, the area around Cape Cod because, you know, that's sort, of, that's sort of the thing in Cape Cod in the summer when you're not at the beach. You're usually at a baseball game if you live somewhere on Cape Cod. So, you know, it's awful for those people. It's heartbreaking, you know, for the families, for the front offices, for everyone involved in the league, just because it's so family-run. And it's such, you know, just a place where the people that work in the league are some of the nicest in the world. I mean, the people that I've met through my time the last three years of the Wareham Gateman are, are some of the best people I've met in baseball. And, you know, it's just a great atmosphere for baseball all summer long. So it's really heartbreaking for the people across Cape Cod that, you know, don't get to have that this year. But it's also heartbreaking for the players because, once again, you have guys like Nick Gonzalez whose draft stock skyrocketed last year. That won't happen this year. So we won't see guys sort of, you know, those guys in the rough that come to the Cape League but maybe with not too much pedigree and then come out of the Cape League as stars. You won't see that happening this year, which really is, is, is unfortunate that we won't get to see that because it's always fun to see those massive success stories of guys that use the Cape League as basically a springboard to a high 
Yeah, it definitely is because Cape, like you said, Cape Cod baseball is some of the best baseball or probably is the best baseball out there. Now, the draft has changed. And I know we just, you know, a little bit here and there we mentioned it, but it went from 40 rounds as you're accustomed to down to five rounds. From a Cape Cod League perspective, how is that going to affect the players there? Well, I don't think it'll affect them too too much. I think it'll more affect guys um, in some different summer leagues because most of the guys in the Cape are usually going to be high draft picks. I mean, your stars are going to be your stars. Adley Rutschman played in the Cape. He was number one pick for the Orioles last year. So the guys who are going to be your stars will end up getting picked in the first five rounds. But what I think it sort of hurts is those back-end guys in the Cape, the guys who – Sort of came in as the unknown. I'll use Jacob Keeter as an example. He played for the Gateman last year. He comes from Florida Southern. He's sort of a guy that, you know, last year no one really knew who he is, but he had a great season. But maybe since he plays for a team like Florida Southern, he won't get the looks of a guy who would play for Vandy, Ole Miss, South Carolina, those sort of guys who would go in the first five rounds. So it hurts the players like him, and it hurts the guys who, you know, might not get picked in the first five rounds and still have a chance to blossom when they get picked in the sixth, seventh, or eighth round. Now, from my understanding, they can still sign with any team after that as a free agent. The major difference is they only get a, I think it's a $20,000 signing bonus. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, yeah. So they do get that $20,000 signing bonus, and the draft slots are capped at $100,000 paid right out. You get paid $100,000 now, and then it increments down the road. Right. And so let me ask you, Forget about the draft this year. Let's talk about previous years. Do you think 40 rounds is too many rounds? I think there's definitely an argument to be made that 40 rounds is too many, but I think the counter-argument to that is five isn't enough. Because you see a lot of guys, there's, I talked to them a couple of days ago, 14% of the top 900 prospects, because MLB Pipelines is the top 30 for each of the 30 teams. So looking at that, 16, 14, or 14 to 16% of players drafted past the fifth round end up being one of those 900 players. So it's really interesting to see that. Is 40 rounds too many? I think there's definitely an argument to be made, but that argument also would have to be made with the reduction of minor league baseball teams because we've seen the whole contraction thing, yada, yada, yada. If that ends up going through, then yes, 40 rounds might be too much. Because the reason the 40 rounds is so long is you need to fill out those lower-level teams. You need to fill out your rookie teams. You need to fill out you know, your short-season A team. You still need to have guys left over for your Gulf Coast or your Asian team. So I think, in a way, that 40 rounds is a great number if you have all those teams. If you don't have those teams at those lower levels, speaking like of those rookie advanced teams, of those short-season A teams, Yes, it becomes too many, but it is a shame that, you know, they're looking to cut down the draft. They're looking to cut out affiliates. But 40 rounds is good at the moment, but I think there's definitely an argument to be made of cutting it down. Maybe the 2025, like we're going to see next year in the draft, if contraction ends up happening. Now, you know, there's out there, there's 261 minor league teams. To me, and that's, once again, this is only my opinion, I think that's too much because, um, you know, only one out of every 10 AAA player makes it to the Major League Baseball. One out of 10. Um, I believe if you go through the whole 
farm system and every minor league team that's out there, it's one out of every six players. It's a very low number. And my question to you is, and you mentioned a great point earlier in here is you see up to 100 scouts a day. Do you think maybe the quality of scouts, especially with the technology that we have today, do you think maybe it's not, maybe we don't need that many teams, maybe we don't need that many rounds, maybe we need more qualified scouts? Well, I think the counterpoint to that would be, do you want to grow the game of baseball? Because I think that's the main thing these minor league teams really do, because Yes, if you look at it in a nutshell, and if you look at it, you know, just black and white, the minor leagues are made for your top front. The filler guys are just there to be fillers, to have someone to play against for the guys that can't lose Rashmur, Kumar, Rocco, when they get drafted. I think that's, that's sort of the counterpoint to what you're saying. But I think you have to look at it that these teams bring so much to these communities. There are teams across the country where if these towns don't have a minor league baseball team, they're not connected to Major League Baseball in any way, shape, or form. You look at the entirety of the Northwest team. Northwest League, which is the short season A League, you have teams in Idaho, Wyoming, Montana, Utah. If those teams are taken away, where's your nearest ballpark? Where's your, you know, closeness to, to baseball, especially Montana? Not a single college in Montana plays baseball either. So you got to, you know, see it as a way to grow the game, take it across the country, because baseball is so regionalized that these affiliates really are, are the lifeline to Major League Baseball and to baseball for these towns, and it's such you know, a huge thing in these towns. It means so much to them. Having it taken away really would take away from the whole, you know, growing the game and then growing the fans and growing the following that I think Major League Baseball and everyone in baseball desperately wants to do. We are talking to Javid Blake, the play-by-play announcer for the Wareham Gateman of the Cape Cod League. Um, you know, and you're, I understand your point there and the community involvement, but, you know, minor league baseball is a lot of players playing under poverty conditions. Remember, these players don't even get paid minimum wage. A AAA player is lucky if he gets $700 a week, where a minor league, a single-A player is lucky if he gets $400 a week. Do you think that maybe, and I understand the point about communities, but let's say you take away 40 teams like they're talking about doing, is it worth taking those away and paying these double-A and triple-A guys a little bit more money so they can at least survive? Well, I think, as we've seen with anything, I think it's an understanding that Major League Baseball has the money. Because if you look at the revenue last year, they made $10.7 billion in revenue. Yep. So I think a way to look at it is Major League Baseball has the capabilities to sort of you know distribute a little more money to the minor league guys. You've already seen them doing you know, it bumps up here. The only thing is that minor leaguers almost get the short end of the stick because they don't have a union. They don't have a collective bargaining agreement. And, you know, they're kind of at, 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 the, at the mercy of their organization. And I think a thing that we're seeing is that, you know, these minor league players aren't getting paid enough. And I think Major League Baseball's response is to cut out some teams to free up some money to pay them. But I think, you know, the opposite side of that, baseball fans' response, well, why don't you just pay them anyways? And I think... For a league that, you know, only they only um, publicize the revenue. They don't publicize, you know, their profits or that thing. I don't think – I think it's a little harder of a, of a judgment to make from a fan perspective. But I do think, you know, minor leaguers, especially in baseball, they deserve to be paid at least the minimum wage. You know, the FBF, the Fair um, Business Labor Act of 1930. 
think that's really the way to help minor league baseball is through Congress. But it's a really intricate situation, and I think there's two completely different sides of it. You're either in the cut 40, free up money, pay these guys more, or keep the structure and just pay these guys more of the existing money you have. I think it's two wildly fascinating arguments, but it's so wide-ranging, it's so complex. It's a really interesting conversation to have, but it's so wide-ranging. There's so many unknown factors that, that frankly, basically everyone doesn't can't exactly, you know, you know, find out because MLB does not publish that. Now, this year, minor leagues, as far as we know, it is not going to go on. Now, we'll talk a second because we got a few more minutes here, but we'll get to the question in a minute about the major league season, but. These minor leaguers, unless they expand some of the rousters on the major league level, which they're going to do, a lot of them are losing a year of service. And, you know, what I mean by that is from an age standpoint, now a guy that would have been 23 is now going to be 24. Do you think the loss of this year in minor league baseball is going to affect some players in that way? Well, without a doubt, it's going to affect players. It's going to affect a lot of guys. As you said, you know, there are over 6,500 minor league baseball players across 261 teams. That's a lot of players. To lose a year of baseball, to lose a year of competitive baseball, is huge for these guys' development. Still guys like Adley Rutschman. Now, he's going to be the late year. He's a guy we could have seen in the major leagues next year for the Baltimore Orioles. So, I think that it's a huge thing for these players to you know, lose this year because of the fact that you know it's all about development. In baseball, the reason it takes so long to get to the big leagues it just takes long to just adjust to the pitching in every single league or the pitcher adjusts to the hitters and how to pitch every fifth day because the baseball schedule is so much different than what you play in college. College is so much different than what you play in high school. I think from a development standpoint, it's massive that these players are losing a season. And I think, you know, it's not going to help them in any way, shape, or form, but they're all on the level playing field. Everyone will have lost a year. So I think, you know, it's going to be a huge loss for these players. But again, they're going to be on a level playing field. So I don't think... You know, we'll see the effects that much, but it'll just, it's just unfortunate for these guys, you know, worked so hard, have gone all this way, only to have you know, this entire season washed away. Now, before we let you go, we're talking to uh, Javik Blake, play by play announcer, the Wareham uh, Gateman of the Cape Cod League. He also does play by play for Elon University. Uh, Javik, later today, um, oh, I guess late yesterday, Major League Baseball put that proposal in to the players to try to get the season started. Now, obviously, it goes without saying that neither side has anything to gain by not playing baseball. Uh, my question to you is, and I know the biggest thing is going to be the revenue sharing part, which the owners are going to want right now. At a time where we shouldn't be arguing over stuff, you know, to get the season going, um... What do you think the chances of us in the next 24 to 48 hours hearing that the baseball season, Major League Baseball, is going to begin? I think in the next 48 hours, them agreeing on a deal is, is extremely unlikely. You look at the way the sides are, are currently, and, and it doesn't look like they're going to come to agreement uh, at least for the next week or so. And I think you know, a big thing in business is your first offer is, is never your best offer, and that's what it looks like from Major League Baseball, I think they set out, you know, kind of a framework, and them and the Players Association can kind of work together to negotiate these things out, because as you said, the financials are going to be a huge part of this, but then you look at what Sean Doolittle was tweeting about yesterday. What about 
going to do it. You know, it's so widespread currently. How is Major League Baseball going to effectively, you know, test players, make sure they're okay, and make sure, you know, not just the players, but the front office staff, the broadcasters, the trainers, the cooks, you know, all the stadium workers. How are they going to make sure they're okay and, and they're healthy and safe? And I think beyond the financial, that's the biggest hurdle for Major League Baseball coming back is to make sure that you can keep everybody safe and healthy. And I think that should be the number one priority of Major League Baseball and the Players Association. But the financials is a big one as well. These players signed an agreement a couple of weeks ago saying, you know, we're going to take a prorated salary. You know, we'll play it on a per cow, per game basis and all that sort of thing. And then for Major League Baseball to go back on that, I think the players' union is like, well, wait a minute. We already had an agreement. What happened to that? So I think it's, it's going to be an interesting negotiations. And hopefully, you know, clear heads prevail and we don't end up something like we saw in 1994 where the entire season's wiped away. But I think, you know, it'll it's a big thing for baseball, but I think priority number one needs to be, and I think the Players Association and Major League Baseball agree to this, that everyone, you know, they need to find a way where everyone can be safe and healthy and taken care of, and I think that's the number one thing, you know, that should matter to Major League Baseball and MLB, and then the finances. All right, Javik, I want to thank you very, very much for joining us today on Frankly Speaking Sports, uh, and make sure you stay safe, my friend. All right. Have a good day. Have a good one. That was Javik Blake of the Wareham Gateman of the Cape Cod League. He is the play-by-play announcer. We'll be right back after this message. Welcome back to Frankly Speaking Sports. I'm your host, Larry Frank. Two great, great conversation. Um, it was interesting seeing some similar perspectives from the independent uh, Cape Cod League and from the university, uh, Duke University perspective. So two great, great guests. Really hope you enjoyed that. Uh, you know, the community comes up a lot in this. You know, it just shows you how much baseball means to a community. So there's a lot of work to be done in minor leagues. And, and you know, one of the things I think is definitely the amount of money these athletes get paid. It is just sickening. I mean, I cannot think of any better word than sickening to see how little these guys get to play baseball in the minor leagues. I'm not saying they should become millionaires playing a minor league game, but there's got to be more money. Uh, you know, They're not making even minimum wage. That is against the law as far as I'm concerned. Want to remind you, if you have any questions, concerns, thoughts, things you want to talk about, you can reach us right here, right after this podcast. It'll say, leave quick message. Go ahead and do that. We'll play your message on the next episode of Frankly Speaking Sports. You can follow us on Twitter, at Larry Frankis. That's with the U.S. at the end. Also, one of the fastest growing Facebook group pages out there, Frankly Speaking Sports. Join us if you haven't yet. Invite your friends. I don't care. Invite your animals. Whatever you like, the more the merrier. Want to thank you all for joining us today, and we'll see you again tomorrow on Frankly Speaking Sports.